When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happened? Well, you just, you leave a computer, don't you, for a few days, and then you come back and you do the things that you normally do, like you turn it on and then it just goes somewhere. And then suddenly Microsoft Edge wants to talk to me about how it can optimise my experience, and it won't let me get to where I need to get to. If this isn't optimising my experience, this is fucking up my experience. My experience is I want to go to Hotmail and click on the goddamn fucking link. I do not want to be told how much better my experience can be if I sink something. So many times you've got to hit no thanks before I could get through to reality again. Yeah. I've got two questions. Actually, one question, really. You use Microsoft Edge as your browser. I don't know what I use. I use the one that just makes the browser come on. I just let the swirly thing. I mean, I don't fucking know. <laughs> you should use Google Chrome. It'd blow, it'd blow your mind. Really? Would it? Yeah. Wouldn't that just ask me to sign up for Google things? Actually, yeah. All that will happen is Microsoft Edge will then get jealous and keep saying to you, why don't you come back to Microsoft Edge? So, yeah, maybe you should just stay where you are. It's just a browser, isn't it? I mean, when did browser wars happen, for Christ's sake? I thought the point of a browser was you get onto the internet and then there's a war. Not you don't have the, the war before the war. What would that be? I suppose it's a phony war. Yeah, fair enough. I suppose you do. Thinking about <laughs> it. Yeah. Sort of, you know, Cold War ultimately yeah. led to, you know, proxy wars like the Vietnam War. It's sort of that, isn't it, in a way? It's the mind games, isn't it, of Ferguson and Wenger? It's very similar. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, and it is myself, Toby Tarrant. It is Norcross, is still laughing. I couldn't see you trying to have a sip of wine there, but you couldn't get into it because you were laughing. So me, Toby Tarrant, Daniel Norcross, and Stephen Finn. And Finney is here, and Finney, it's been an exciting week. Just, you know, just when I thought that your career had peaked, maybe even plateaued. You add more strings to your bow and you continue to impress as for the first time ever recently, you've been doing ball-by-ball commentary. Now, Daniel Norcross will tell you that's proper commentary. That's not just sitting there waiting to be asked a question and bragging about the fact that you took a few wickets for England. That's actually captivating the audience. And so how has it been, Stephen Finn? You should probably ask the audience, I'd say. No, it's been been all right. It's been good. I think... Doing it off TV, trying to keep up with the names and the rule changes and things like that has been tricky when you're a league commentator because you you need to know those things. Yeah, so so those have been tricky. But other than that, the actual nuances and flows of the game have actually been have been good fun. I quite enjoy it. Which um, yeah, who knows? Who was your Who was your summariser? Who did you Who Who was your Stephen Finn? I had Abhishek Jundramwala. Oh yeah. And I had Ravi Bapara. That two very fine summarizers. I'm mm-hmm. sure they could have covered for all your ignorances. And that's what they're there for. They're two very great men that I've lent on on many, many occasions in mm. order to cover up the fact that I'm not quite sure who the impact substitute was who came on 
yesterday. Well, and then there was a good reason why I wouldn't have known him. He came on for RCB and he'd never played a single IPL game in his life. And he was asked to come in and somehow hit 30 off 12 balls in front of 50,000 people with no experience whatsoever. I did one today where the impact sub couldn't have had less of an impact on the game. He scored eight off 12 balls as a specialist batter in the second innings trying to chase 192. Um, Sounds like he did have a big impact on the game. He lost it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, negative impact. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, you had a rival in the radio world this week, Stephen Finn, because on a different radio station, TalkSport 2, they opted for Monty Panesar. Now, Ooh. you know, we all know that Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson, sadly, will hang up their boots at some point in the next few years, and I'm sure they'll be in high demand for all sorts of TV and radio work. All my so jobs, yeah. Well, all the jobs that you're you know, working so hard to receive. So <laughs> it could come down to a straight-out battle between you and Monty Panasar. Did you think when you were repeatedly punching him in the ribs on an Ashes warm-up tour that you would one day be a fierce radio rival with Monty? Well, I think I knew in that moment that... You know, I I wanted to get the mental warfare in early for for these scenarios. Fifteen years later, and yeah, I Monty's got a very um, popular TikTok and Twitter channel, which which I don't. You know, I haven't got those same levels of following and interaction that he has, which will stand him in good stead. And and I'm sure, having listened to my witterings about the game, people will realise that I know absolutely nothing about it, and and it would be sensible of these broadcasting outlets to give him the opportunities that may have been afforded to me because he'll speak much more sense. Do you well, regret not I mean, punching him harder? Because you could have put an end to it. You could have made him basically incapable of doing anything. If you Well, I didn't really want to incapacitate someone on the eve of an Ashes series. Although saying that, Chris Tremlett did break James Anderson's rib in that, which <laughs> in hindsight was completely ridiculous given that we were only a month away from going on an Ashes trip. So... No, I don't. I, I never wish harm upon anyone. I, I wish that we could all have the same jobs and same opportunities. And, and you know, I, I'm very much here for a fair world and, and I wouldn't want to do that to someone. <laughs> I mean, it's a very interesting in, in the shift of power, though, isn't it? Between obviously the BBC that Finney and I predominantly work for and TalkSport, because, you know, a lot of these guys you find sitting next to you uh, have been chosen on the basis of the impressive nature of their test career. And uh, while we had only what 127 test wickets on the BBC, um, Talksport had 167 in the shape of Monty Panesar, which is you know it's a concern. It's direction of travel, and um, we've just got to keep an eye on that. I think as um, as a national broadcaster, mm, it's true actually. Um, maybe do maybe do an exchange. That's a very um, good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, or maybe get, Finney should have bent his back a, more in a few more spells. Yeah, well, I'll get a few more runs from Finney, definitely. Maybe the odd catch, but not that many. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't quite even itself out. Monty's still, obviously, if you're playing top trumps test cricketer, then Monty's the one you go for. Mm, let me see, just cross-format. Let me just, um, <laughs> let me just have a look at this. <laughs> that's it. I mean, I think that's a good point there. I think you focused very much on one specific format there to suit your narrative there, Norcross. I can't. Yeah, but every it. every test wicket's worth five. Yeah, there pass. you well, go. Right, Finn's got him covered. Next. Well, hang on a minute. So, T so, twenty. So there's forty overs in a T twenty match, and there's four hundred and fifty in a test match. So, each test wicket is worth ten T twenty wickets. Clearly, because that's not it's necessarily. 10 times as long. I would say if you were comparing it's eleven it to... times as long, actually. 
time and value in the game, you'd say a T20 wicket is is more valuable. You'd have to work so hard for it, though. Didn't you? That's the thing. Monty's had to really work for his wickets in the tough cauldron of Test cricket, whereas you just rock up. You know, someone slogs a hat trick for you at deep mid wicket, long on, and um, it wasn't deep mid wicket. Was it was it was deep third, long deep off, third, and long mid off, on. Actually, mid on. Right. Okay. Now <laughs> I I'm going to do something very rare here, Daniel. I'm going to step in here and I'm going to defend Finney because if they're both commentating on T20 cricket then surely you need an expert in that field. And and Finney's got a much superior T20 record than Monty Panesar. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it feels like an open and shut case, that, doesn't it? And, it, mm. and it's one that's extremely hard to argue against. <laughs> but if you'd given me more time to think about it, and if I was a better sophist, I would be able to suggest, for example, that the fact that Monty didn't play T20 cricket was because he knew his limitations because he understood T20 cricket so well that he wouldn't even try to play it. Whereas mediocre T20 players just are forever getting the game wrong and thinking they're good enough for it. Uh, you, you, you wouldn't have made a great lawyer, would you? No, not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> I put it to you that if I had more time to prepare a good answer, I'd have one for you. But, but as it is, this is the best I've got. And I'm going to... Yeah, well, it's very short notice. It's very, very short notice. <laughs> um, Finney, whilst, uh, whilst we've got you, you know, last week we spoke about the legendary photo of you on... Is it Joss Butler's stag do waving a dildo around in Amsterdam? Yes. That's right. If you missed last week's episode, you can go back and listen again. We extolled the virtues of the dildo and complimented their versatility. So if you'd like to hear more about that, then last week's episode is, of course, still available. But another photo I wanted to discuss. We ran out of time last week, Stephen Finn. But um, I'll send it to our WhatsApp group now so that um, Daniel Norcross, you can see it as well. Do you have any idea which photo I might be about to send, Stephen Finn? No. Um, okay, well, if you just look at WhatsApp, it's a photo of you advertising what I can only assume is the DFS sale. It's uh, you... Do you know what? I got accosted with this. This, yeah. Do you know Would where you, this is from? No, you but need I need to explain. I think it's from a DFS sale. This is from the Financial Times. Oh, Ooh, hello. Yeah, you, hey? Hello. Is this when you made 25,000 in the 100? Uh, it was 32 actually. Okay. Um, 32 less less commission and yeah. But you yeah. really dressed up for it, haven't you? I'm, I'm, I mean, that top is a very well. I wasn't anticipating. Do you know what? Gray. That's the same. That's the same top I was wearing when I was waving a dildo around in Amsterdam. Oh, it was the photos. Yeah. You loved that top, didn't you? I actually yeah. really did. It was All Saints. It was a nice, a nice shade of olive, actually. That oh. top is as versatile as your average dildo. It does exactly. get around, doesn't it? Um. So let, I'll explain the photo for our listeners. So it's done. It's uh, sorry, Stephen Finn sat on the end of a fetching blue sofa um, with a lamp in the background in just a very nice sort of white living room. And he's got his hand on his sort of thigh and he's mm. staring down the camera. Like all great models, he's, you know, he's making love with the camera. It's very Zoolander. Um, and you're just sort of staring at us through the lens, just sort of pondering life. And I was just wondering, where, where, why were you in the Financial Times and why were you posing so sexually? I think I actually can't even really remember what on earth I was doing in the Financial Times. It was an appearance. I think at the time I was an ambassador of a bank called Investec, who now actually they set up an account and I had it for free for ages. And now they charge me 500 pounds a year for the bloody bank account and I get nothing from it. But 
as part of my well, 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 investments can go down as well as up, Stephen. As I'm sure, if you'd read the, the small print, having worked in financial services, then you would have been well aware of. This is just a current account that doesn't fluctuate. You'll pay five hundred pounds for a current account. <laughs> for a current account, <laughs> absolute yes. sucker. Yeah, yours, yours I know. had a Sarah Vine who got stiffed for uh, for changing money at the airport and complaining about it. Who, yeah. who, who goes to who goes to to a currency exchange at an airport, or indeed pays five hundred pounds for a current account? Didn't Mind Sarah you, I do love Investec. Didn't Sarah Vine also recently say on Twitter that she'd just been to a kiosk at Clapham Junction and she claimed she paid twenty two pound fifty for two sausage rolls and everybody so people on twitter like me that live near clapham junction people on twitter went to clapham junction and looked at every single kiosk and there's no sausage roll more than about five pounds she's got a mm. weird relationship with money and anyway <laughs> so does stephen finn because he's kind of got an investec account that is completely worthless and meaningless in fact it costs him 500 pounds a year draw um, everything out of it and put it close it down what are you doing man well, no, I sh- I should, but I thought as part of my ambassadorship for them at the time that they would continue to fee. give me it for nothing. Yeah, but they didn't. Which probably fair enough. Can I can um, I ask can I ask a very salient question? Because me. what? Well, is it your <laughs> is it your room? Yes, that's my living room in London. Okay, so explain to me what kind of strange perverted individual puts two wooden boxes on top of each other. The point of a wooden box is that you can open it and get inside what's there, not have another box on top of it. It's a nice side table. Creates a nice a nice height to the side of the sofa. It was full of PlayStation games, actually, until I grew up. And there's DVDs one on top of the other. So became pointless. So what's in the bottom one? DVDs that you're never going to watch again. Oh, I see. Right, I see. And then your, your, your right leg is lying languidly over the top one. It is. They made me take, mm. I had like coffee table books and a lamp on that as well, but they made me take it off so I could put my legs and, over it for some and reason. What, what's the map of behind you? It looks the like map, a map. The map is a map of an old map of the boundaries of Middlesex. Oh, Watford, is it? Middlesex. Middlesex. Did Middlesex, oh, Middlesex used to exist, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Until they abolished it. It's a map it from like the NPC. 1700s or something. Yeah. Long time ago. Well, there we go. Well, I'll post that beautiful photo of you on at Zero Ducks Pod on Twitter and Instagram, so you can have a you can have a wander at Finney. And yeah, just it's like one of those paintings where the eyes follows you around the room. I can't quite tear away from it, but we will move on. We will move on. Does this hair look lovely in it though? Quick, just it does. It's sort of bouncy. It's really sort of lovely. bouncy and yeah. fluffy, and yeah. And he's got a similar amount of beard. Still not grown any further from that day. No, it's pathetic, mm. isn't it? Well, you know. Well, speaking of sexy, we should talk about Daniel Norcross's favourite cricketer because Ollie Pope was in the runs for... Oh, I thought you meant Betty Snowball. Bloody hell. I thought no, she'd not come Betty back to Snowball life. and not oh, F. Ollie Pope. No, Ollie Pope, who was in the runs for, for Surrey, um, which no doubt gave you an immeasurable amount of pleasure, Daniel Norcross, because, you know, nothing quite gets you out of bed in the morning quite like Ollie Pope, does it? No, it, and, and the great thing about it was I didn't even have to get out of bed. I was very much out of the bed. Because I was in Hong Kong Airport at the time. I was watching it on the Surrey live stream. I'm not able to get a hold of BBC commentary. So I, I thought, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll see the great man in action. And expertly commentated, if I don't mind me saying so, by the editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Um, he just stormed the champions. Incidentally, the county that's won the most championships since the Second World War. 
to a victory against a side that many people think will be their closest or at least very nearly closest rivals, Hampshire, by such a wonderful display of stroke play. They they did a, a lovely um, montage of his shots they put out and it was it was called like going round the clock, rock, rock around the clock with Ollie Pope. And he, he did manage to hit pretty much every single number. And my favourite was when he hit 12 o'clock, which was this insane backwards thrashing tennis lob into the pavilion. And then he sort of finished the game with a straight six uh, down to six o'clock, having whacked it to all other parts. It was a, an innings of ineffable beauty in a match where hardly anybody got any runs. He scored 213 for once out and no side got over 200 and what was it? 75. It was fantastic. Oh, I was yep. in raptures. He was, he did look um, sickeningly good and, um, and ably supported by Dominic Sibley at the other end as well. Who's, you know, oh, he's yes. got his own England claims to make. He finished 79, not out. Uh, Finney though, it was good to see because actually I was scrolling through all the, the scorecards as I tend to do when the county championship's on and more or less, we'll come to one player that didn't, but more or less all the sort of England boys that were playing, <sighs> Ben Duckett scored scored a lot of runs, uh, Braun Anderson bowled, bowled a lot of overs and took some wickets, Chris Wokes bowled really nicely in the second innings as well. So it's nice to see the guys who are sort of England test players or trying to be putting their hands up and performing for their counties because did you ever find once you'd gone and, you know, taken lots of wickets for England, you were a regular in the England side, that when you went back and played for Middlesex, did you ever feel like, A, there was a bit of pressure on you to perform, people are looking at you in the dressing room, and B, that there was a bit of a target on your back from the opposition as well? Uh, not particularly, I don't think. I I was lucky that all of my close friends played with me at Middlesex at the time, so I didn't feel the pressure of playing for Middlesex, and the club were always good with me in my early years when I was playing for England and not putting too much pressure on me to come back and single-handedly win games. And also we had a lot of much more capable match winners in there as well that that were better domestic cricketers than I was. So yeah, I think I was very fortunate in that regard. I think seeing Ollie Pope and come back and bat at number three and bat with the confidence that he has done, how assured he's been, I think bodes well for England. You just want him really now to transform that confidence and the belief that he is the best player on that pitch because that's what it looks like when he is out there playing for Surrey at the moment. It looks as though he believes he's the best player on the pitch and I think he's good enough to be able to believe that in, in um, international cricket as well. So it'd be nice to see him transfer that. I've got, got to say that he was magnificent, but it was in a match where there were some magnificent players and what struck you watching that game and watching Surrey against Lancashire the week before and then Lancashire against Essex? And we haven't even got to Sussex having Steve Smith and Chiteshwa Pujara. The, the quality of the county championship at the moment just feels fantastic. You know, in that game, there were a couple of Abbots, both of them brilliant. Kimar Roach, Dan Worrell, very, very good bowler. Surrey's pace attack, superb. But then... So's what? So's uh, Hampshire's. I mean, Barker, Abbott, Muhammad Abbas. There was Liam Dawson playing. James Vince. Surrey's top three had had been England's two openers, Sibley and Burns, followed by Pope at three. And it was like just fabulous the quality of cricket that you got. Really, really good tight game for a long time. And then you looked around the county, and you got James Anderson getting Alistair Cook out, and you just think, wow. 
What time to be alive? County Championship, bring it on. It's true. I was scrolling through the scorecards and there was sort of, you know, sexy household names pretty much playing in every single game, bowling and batting, which is a very good point. But the other thing I noticed was give or take a couple of games. I know Middlesex had quite a low scoring one and uh, Somerset not to an extent. Quite a lot of runs being scored for mm. the weather that we've had. And Finney, do you feel like there's been a conscious effort to improve the pitches? It was getting a little bit silly maybe in the last few years where, God love him, greatest cricket of all time. I don't want to take anything away from him, but Darren Stevens probably shouldn't be the most unplayable bowler in the world on some of the wickets that were being prepared. Has there been any chat about pitches being made a bit better? I know the one at Sussex last year was a bit of a nightmare as well. But I was going through the scorecards and I was like, those are all proper date four-day scores, more or less. Yeah, well, I th- still think you'll get your grounds that are more low scoring. Lords has been very soft and favours medium paces over the last few years. But I know that Carl, the groundsman there, is making an effort to try and make the more solid run scoring pitches, but also the overhead conditions at Lords. It could be the flattest wicket in the world. And then all of a sudden it becomes overcast and it nips all over the place. And then same wicket the next day can be sunny and an absolute belter. So I wouldn't read too much into that. But certainly, I think, I'm not sure what how has happened to the balls this year. I know Duke's issued an apology last year about how soft the balls were going. I don't know whether they've managed to get them to retain some of their hardness or not to keep the bowlers in the game throughout the summer, um, especially in the middle of the summer. But I think you'd be surprised that actually the scores in April tend to be okay each year because the groundsmen have had time to prepare. March is typically a dry month. And even though it is cold, it doesn't tend to be that wet. So the pitches at the beginning of the season aren't always shockers. It's that month in September where it becomes a bit Mm. of a shootout for both divisions, especially with people trying to produce results at that stage of the season as well. So, yeah, it's difficult to read too much into it. It's good to see their runs being scored and that the proper bowlers, the really good bowlers are the ones taking the wickets. It's true. I think someone did analysis on this and April is way better to score runs in than September. And I think Finney's point about pitches and how much they've been used and how much time they've had to prepare before is a very valid one. But they get worse. It gets harder to bat in May. So there is another factor, which is that coldness does actually make it harder for bowlers, I think. Not just because of how loose they are and how, uh, you know, the rhythm they get into, but actually what you need to make the ball swing is you need like convection. You need you need the disparity between ground temperature and air temperature. And at this time of year, they're very similar. You know, it's like 11, 12 degrees in the air. And the, the, the ground is not much different. There's just not much energy out there for a ball to do something. So unless the pitches are, have been left with a load of grass on top and a bit, and they've got real kind of bite for the ball to get into, and they won't do because groundsmen don't want to do that. They don't want to start with a, some banky pitches and make them look crap. April's all right. It's when you get into May and the ball starts moving around a bit, especially in the afternoon, after lunch you get at the Oval. Mornings can be completely hopeless. And then weirdly, after lunch, you can get a bit better because as it gets a little bit warmer in the air, it contrasts with the ground temperature and you get a bit more swing. And So it's, you know, it's not as simple as April and being cold and being utterly miserable, as you will know from bowling on them. I always found it a bit easier to bat in April. Okay, I'm going to ask Stephen Finn this question. Okay, so Finney, if you could wave a magic wand, so what would be your absolute dream bowling conditions? So ground, pitch, 
what time of day you're bowling, how many overs into a spell or not are you bowling, overcast conditions. What what if you could literally have Age the- of ball. I would have an, a warm overcast day at Edgebaston in the middle of July. It's a bit humid. I'd have a hard pitch with grass on it like the one in 2015 against Australia and I'd have a full poly stand on your side whilst you're ahead in the game but not too drunk to be unengaged with the cricket so probably just after lunch when so they've had a couple the and they're fired up and how so how many overs have you bowled have you have you bowled a spell in the morning session or are you completely fresh or do you want you know a couple of overs into your spell doesn't really matter it's funny cricket you have you just have times where you don't you you try the same level of hardness each time you bowl sometimes it just happens sometimes it doesn't so i'd just like to have a spell where you let a couple of balls go in the first over where you think yeah i'm on here and then everyone gets behind you and and it's brilliant are you so you're, you're talking really not about your imaginary best bowling conditions but actually that test match aren't you well, I think there were a couple of times that series, actually, the ones at Nottingham as well on day one when we bowled Australia out for 61. You, you couldn't get more perfect conditions for a tall bowler looking for a bit of movement off the surface. There's there's not better bowling conditions that I've ever experienced. Um, I think somewhere like the Wanderers could be like that as well in South Africa because it's bouncy and when it's grassy, it's got that disgusting like leap off a good length that hits the splice of the bat. I bowled one of my favourite spells in Test cricket there, actually against South Africa. But yeah, I'd say that that day in Edgebaston, yeah, probably was very similar to what I experienced, minus the humidity. And but it would also, yeah, I'd also like to recreate those. I mean, that there have been some spells in the Wanderers where, like Morkel and Stain, I was like, this pitch could not be any more perfect for your type of bowling. You it's never beautiful. tempted Finney to go up to. Got to the groundsman, you know, you've just earned your £32,000 minus commission and other expenses from the 100. But you ever tempted to just walk up to a groundsman and go, here, here's, here's £32,000. Why don't you make us a nice hard grassy wicket here? Well, I'll tell you the reason why, and I hope there's no groundsmen that are listening to this, but I'm not convinced groundsmen have really any idea what they're doing when they're producing <laughs> a pitch. I'm not. Well, the, the amount the, of groundsmen the, the, that I've ground... heard, they say it's going to rain in 20 minutes, never rains, or... You hear a groundsman say, oh, there's pace and bounce in this one. And then it double bounces through to the wicketkeeper. I don't think they've got a clue. I think they just cut it, roll it a little bit, stick some stumps in it, and then see what happens. <laughs> huge I mean, apologies. Huge apologies to the ground staff at Wormsley who all listen to this podcast uh, religiously. Lucky I've never played there, so I can't, I can't, um, I can't judge on that. Wicket it might be, might be the only groundsman yeah. in the country who can actually predict what's going to happen on his pitches. Well, I it's mean, this is wonderful. Low. Well, if there's any groundsman listening, please get in touch at Zero Ducks Pod, and and you can be anonymous, but just give us honestly. Do you have any idea what's happening? Because obviously, at the crap standard of cricket I play, I mean, every week the groundsman's just tearing his hair out going well I, I mean the pitch is crap guys good luck with it but I, I expected more from the professional groundsman so tweet us at zero ducks pod or send us a message on instagram at zero ducks pod we can keep your name anonymous i want your genuine groundsman honest hand on heart opinion do you have any idea what you're doing or any groundsman <laughs> horror stories that you've got 
get in touch if you've got any groundsman horror stories that you can you can think of please let us know and we'll go through them next week on the podcast hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, now I want to talk about the Wisden Cricketer of the Year Award, Ooh. which has for the third time in four years gone to Ben Stokes. And it's kind of hard to argue with Ben Stokes. I mean, maybe he hasn't scored as many runs in the test team as you'd like, but he scored some important runs. He's also transformed the England test team into a winning machine. And he was the hero in a T20 World Cup final. So there's not too many complaints. It is Norcross, the Wisden Cricketer Year, a slightly odd premise because it's basically just the editor of Wisden picks five cricketers that they really like every single year. And yet it always gets lots of headlines when it happens. But um, it's quite yeah, well, clear that basically Wisden like Ben Stokes, like everybody else does. Well, we've got to be very clear about this. There, there, there are different awards. There's the Wisden Cricketer of the Year, International Cricketer of the Year, isn't it? And then there's the Five Cricketers of the Year. Yeah. So the Five Cricketers of the Year causes unknown quantities of problems for Lawrence Booth because when he picks these five, what you've got to do with it is you can't win it more than once. So, you know, if Joe Root scores a thousand runs in the ashes and Ben Stokes takes... 20 wickets, well, he won't, but, you know, uh, Jimmy Anderson takes 40 wickets and heaven knows well. So they can't be Wisden Cricketer of the Year next year. They can't be one of the five cricketers of the year. So that award always causes um, problems because no one else seems to realise this and says, what about so-and-so who did better? Uh, so I feel for him there. But when it comes down to the impact player, Wisden is, a, is an English publication. So it's going to see things through an English prism whilst being very much aware of what happens in the rest of the world. But you can't really deny that the story of last year was that Ben Stokes took over a side that had won one test match in 17 and then proceeded to win six out of seven at home and get a clean sweep in Pakistan. I mean, who does that? And wins matches inside, well inside four days, you know, in, in, tries to win it inside three by going at 10 and over because they desperately want another day on the golf course, but in the end can't do it, so they have to win an hour into the fourth day. No one does that in Pakistan. Everyone draws. You go to the Karachi board, where it shows every single test match there's ever been. It's There's like five results in the, in the history of test cricket. <laughs> it's crazy. And Ben Stokes' England pulled it off in three, test, three, set, three days, sorry, in one hour. So, you know, he's doing things along with, Brendan McCullum and Rob Key and Paul Collingwood and the rest of the team that are sensationally newsworthy. And Wisden is also a publication that looks at test cricket above everything else. So it has a tradition. And quite right too as well. Well, I, right I tend to think so. And why not? I mean, if, if there wants to be a T20 Wisden, then they should set themselves up and they should try and make as big a fuss. So um, I, I, I'm quite happy with the choice. No, I completely agree. I mean, look, Ben Stokes, there's no complaints here that he won that. I mean, we spend pretty much every week, we've run out of things to say about Ben Stokes. He's so bloody good. For those interested and who didn't see it, Ben Folks, Matthew Potts, Daryl Mitchell, Tom Blundell and Harman Preet Kaur were the other winners of that award. 
But also need to mention the leading women's cricketer of the world, Beth Mooney, which again, I mean, if Ben Stokes deserved it, then there could be no complaints about Beth Mooney, oh, Daniel Norcross. Absolutely astounding. Her story is great as well because she was a regular in the team and then was left out um, at a mature stage in her life. A lot of Australian cricketers coming through and she fought her way back into the side, which is quite a rare story in women's cricket. And um, uh, she she was superb in the World Cup. I also love the fact that she looks slightly like a startled panda, which um, pleases me enormously. And she's intensely fit. She turns ones into twos. She's dynamic, top of the order, uh, utterly deserving. So when you watch her batting, it's not that she's got more power or better technique. She's just got greater intensity, really, than almost any other woman at, at the crease. She just seems to have this terrifying, petrifying focus extremely magnificent athleticism and um, uh, it's a great shame she's Australian but you know can't can't win them all can't have everything no. uh, now Stephen Finn were you a better presenter than me would have would have done his research but were you ever named the Wisdom Cricketer of the Year no I wasn't I was actually a bit upset oh. about it, it oh like, what I got the oh. what did I get the Dennis Compton Award I got the Cricket Writers Club Young Player of the Year I got the ICC Emerging Player of the Year, but never, um, never the wisdom. One of the five wisdom cricketers of the year. What um, was your best? What was your best year? Because I've got the wisdom zero. So you won two thousand and ten, probably. I got sixty odd wickets. Made my test debut. Played every test that summer. Won the Ashes in that year. Yeah, I'd say probably probably two thousand and ten. Which it's a bit sad, really, that my best year in international cricket was my first one, but. Yeah, well, well I, got I think... fourteen for for Middlesex that year actually. Well, we need to we need to rectify this. I think we need to. If How? We, if, well, if we can just get you fit enough this summer to just bowl one delivery or face one delivery, so that you're legible, and then we should speak to wisdom. Or I've got a better idea. Yeah, I I think we find the five cricketers of the year from two thousand and ten. Yeah, and we discredit one. Yes. We discredit it. one and then we go, oh, who else could have won it that year? And it, it could have been me. That's a great idea. We drag their <laughs> reputation horribly through the mud. We find yep. some skeletons in their closet. Okay, well, if there's any personal investigators listening to this podcast who can help us find disgusting dirt on the Wisdom Cricketers of the Year 2010, then um, then we're all ears. We'd, we'd love to have um, them. Do you want to know who the four cricketers of the year were in 2010. Yeah, who were what, we? There wasn't five. They didn't even do five. <laughs> no, they didn't even do five. And what a piss not... take. Well, can you not remember why, Stephen? Uh, is it because <laughs> one of them ended up being done for spot fixing? That's absolutely correct. Oh, well, there's no, a space. There's a space. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So the editor, Shil Berry, left out, left out Mohammed Amir, but refused to fill it because... He was trying to acknowledge the fact that he'd been the best. He should have been one of the five cricketers of the year. I know it's quite speciously weird reasoning, isn't it? But um, but just to let you know that he was he would have had it, but it was taken away. And the other four, I think you are quite unlucky, actually. Justice for Finney. Just... Finney's look at Finney's face. He's just found out that in the, his best year of cricket ever, he missed out on Wisdom Cricket of the Year, and there there was a spare space going. <laughs> what a yeah. Well. It, it gets it gets worse for you. So the other four. I reckon. No, I reckon Alan Richardson might have been one that year. No, no, okay. no. <laughs> uh, one of them. One of them is a very good friend of yours and a former teammate who has now retired from. Owen Morgan. Cricket. 
Owen Morgan. He he got it because uh, England won the World T20. Mm-hmm. Okay, even though he wasn't captain, but he, he we'll allow that well. one. And he, no, he uh, made his test debut and scored two hundred or hundred that summer, and scored yeah. an ODI hundred that year. They deserve right. that. He deserved that. Yeah. Tammy McBall, who's got played two games in England. Yeah, brilliant. Got got, got hundreds at Lords and Old Trafford. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, who got Dash? Who know. got man of the series though? Well, <laughs> He's got you, you there. Tell me. He's you got tell you me. There. I imagine. I imagine it was you. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two players, uh, one's a batter who might, in some ways, got it the, the previous year when he first came onto the scene. But Trot, Jonathan Trot, mm-hmm. and then, <laughs> and this is cruel. I'm not going to like this one, you. am I? <laughs> well, the thing is, you're going to be. You're gonna, you're gonna be, you're not gonna like it because you're gonna be forced to suck it up because you're gonna go. Oh, I suppose he deserved it. It was a, a veteran of the county championship who captained his county that year to a thrilling county championship. Rick Murray Goodwin. On the final day. Murray Goodwin. No, not 2010. Who won it in 2010? Was it, there was a surging victory over Lancashire at Old Trafford. Who? What? What county? <clears throat> um, I can't it. Was it Warwickshire? Nottinghamshire. Think it would be Chris Reed. Oh, Chris Reed. Yeah, <laughs> quite quite rightly pulling a terrible face. Behind get, how have Barlow I not won cricket Reed. of the year that year? Honestly, how have I not got in that five? <laughs> and, but it gets it gets worse for him because Alistair Cook, who was eligible for selection, missed out on the honour because excellence in the previous English summer are the major criteria for the cricket of the year accolade. And though he recorded his astonishing 766 runs in the Ashes series, they didn't bother to count that, even though that happened in the in, in the qualifying year. So um, they didn't even mention that Finney didn't. didn't what about get thirty odd wickets at twenty three? I know. He... Oh, I know. Chris. No. Chris fucking Reed. Tammy no, Chris McDowell. Reed. He's a he's an absolute domestic Legend. and international stalwart. Yeah, I'm fine with that. It's more yeah. the fact that we were looking to discredit someone. Someone got discredited 13 years ago, and they've still they've still not filled the fifth slot. Right, we're, I'm taking this. I'm going to send an email to Wisdom this week. <laughs> you'll, be like the, you'll be like do. the fourth. You'll be like the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square. Won't I you? can't wait to go and pick up that little book at the award ceremony next year. Either. Yeah, I've, I I'll, I'll, actually, I'm here's gonna... an idea for a sculpture for the fourth plinth. It's it's a statue of Finney. Collecting his wisdom, his bound copy of wisdom from 2010. It's a well, what about what about a statue of me holding a dildo in Amsterdam? How about that? <laughs> now, now we're talking with now a wisdom we're... on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> or it's we a sculpture. Re- you can do what you like. <laughs> recreate that legendary photo, but uh, to make it more family friendly for Chavagas, where we, we replace the dildo with a wisdom almanac. <laughs> I think that's the solution. And <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to be sending a very strongly worded email to Winston this week. Don't you worry, Finney. I've got your back here. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna rectify this. I promise. Now, very finally, before we say goodbyes, we've received a few more five star reviews. Please. Keep leaving us five-star reviews wherever you can review this podcast. Remember, you don't even have to think that it actually is worth five stars. You just have to leave us five stars, and then we can discuss the merit of those five stars at a later date. But leave us a five-star review, even if you want to say the podcast is crap, five stars. And please tell your friends uh, to give us a listen as well. However, one of the five-star reviews was actually rather touching. Um, So, from Anna Maria in austria oh okay she gave us a five-star review she said austrian here with limited cricket knowledge but my late husband tim 
was a cricket aficionado. And this podcast was one of those that he listened to. So now, of course, I've started listening to absolutely no clue what's going on here. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> I think that's our that's the perfect review. I think that sums up exactly the vibe we're going for. A lovely lady in Austria whose husband is so sadly no longer with her, listens every single week and has no idea what's going on. And I think we've peaked. I think if the podcast folded tomorrow, I'd be quite happy with that. So Anna Maria. I might stick that on. Can we stick it on our bio? Absolutely. Stick it on our Twitter bio. I think we should. (laughs) Absolutely no idea what's going on. (laughs) Anna Maria, Austria. Five (laughs) stars. Uh, Right. Well, see you both next week. And uh, Finney, I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be on to Wisden all week, mate. Don't you worry. Thank you. Cheers, Daniel. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.